today is a special Sabbath. It's our communion Sabbath, where we have the opportunity to, uh, to engage concrete object lessons to help us remember, to cause us to remember who God is and what he's done for us. Because uh, the truth is that, that we are prone to forget. We're prone to wander. And so in a few moments, we'll, we'll be able to split uh, into different groups. We're going to actually participate in the foot washing where we follow the example of Jesus. And in John chapter 13, he says, blessed are you if you do these things. So, so we have a chance to really follow that through. Uh, men will be able to, to partner up with other brothers here in the committee room to your right, my left. If you'd like to uh, partner up with another sister. So ladies, you can go to Bellamin Hall in just a few moments. Um, or if you'd like to do this as couples and families, uh, the kindergarten room just across the breezeway right here, you can go there for the family room. But uh, before we do that, we want to make sure that our hearts are prepared. We want to turn to the Word of God. We want to turn to the Word of God's instruction for us because, you know, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, uh, when you engage in the Lord's Supper, don't do it in an unworthy manner. That's what he says. He says, be careful that you do, do it in an unworthy manner. And he says instead, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. So there's an opportunity for self-reflection. And today, we're going to do that first by getting into the Word and then through foot washing. But uh, let's bow our heads together as we pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you so much that you are the living God who invites us to a living relationship with you. Lord, we don't want to just go about these things in a routine fashion. We want to do it fully intentional, fully purposeful and passionate about your heart for us. And so we're praying that, that you would prepare our hearts and minds by feeding us from the Word of God. And as we open these pages of Scripture, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth, not just to help us uh, be more informed, but to become transformed. And so please teach us, inspire us, challenge us. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. Go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you've Maybe there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Going to Matthew chapter 18, and we are going to begin this short talk on dealing with difficult people, part two. Dealing with difficult people, part two. How many of you were here last week for part one, okay? And hopefully you found some practical instruction there. Today we want to get a little bit even more practical. Uh, this whole month, we've kind of been doing a difficulties series. So we did difficulty, or dealing with difficulties one and two. This uh, last two weeks, we've, we're now doing uh, dealing with difficult people, parts one and two. And if you missed any of those talks, you can go online to our website. Uh, it's right there on the front of your bulletin, parkwood.adventistfaith.org. And you can listen to those messages there just to catch up. But we're going to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. And, and if you're like me, you realize as was mentioned in our prayer, that this world in which we live is, is not our home. Amen? You know, it doesn't take long to sit on Google News or to turn on uh, the evening news or whatever and to realize that the love of many waxes cold. Uh, maybe you read that recent story of the tragedy that took place in South Carolina during a prayer meeting, a gunman walks into the sanctuary, sits in the back, and actually shoots down people who are praying and seeking God. 
Friends, the love of many waxes cold. We're losing our sense of moral dignity. But God is greater than that. Amen? Amen. And uh, we want to continue to lift up those families who are grieving and the community and really uh, the entire world that watches how, how, this, how these lines can be crossed, how these boundaries can be crossed. But God is greater than that. Uh, maybe as you saw the... Um, the Supreme Court's ruling yesterday, um, you realize that uh, man is taking it into their hands to redefine the biblical picture of marriage. Uh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Um, the truth is that we don't have to look very far to see that things aren't right. We can look right here and see that things aren't right. So when we talk about dealing with difficult people, it's not just them. <laughs> It's us. Lord, help us. <laughs> Lord, help us. Amen. So we're going to the Gospel of Matthew because God is giving us very specific instruction of how, how to deal with difficult people right here. Right here. We were here last week, Matthew chapter 18. We were taking a look at verse 15 and how God gives us, Jesus gives some very specific instruction of how to deal with brothers and, or sisters who, who deal offensively with one another. How do, we, how do we directly address them? But later on in this conversation, in verse 21, we pick up this question that Peter asks. He hears Jesus' instruction about, okay, well, if there's an offense, then I go directly to that person and we work things out and only include people as necessary into that sphere of accountability. But here in verse 21, Peter begins with a very specific question. He says, Verse 21, I'm reading from the New King James. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I do what? Forgive, Forgive him. <laughs> That's a fun question. Uh, have you ever asked that question? How often, how often should I let someone off the hook? It's interesting because in Judaism of that time, the Jewish rabbis were instructing people that three times is plenty. That's what the rabbis were teaching. And so Peter, in the very next phrase, at the end of verse 21, he says, how many times? Up to seven times? Peter's trying to be generous. And in verse, and in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. What? <laughs> Do you really have to, you know, keep track on your iPhone app? Okay, this is how many times this brother has offended me. <laughs> the point is, you don't keep track. The point is that the measure of forgiveness is completely different in the eyes of God. You see, how often shall I forgive? Peter's mind, he's thinking that forgiveness is some sort of limited commodity, one that is measured by numbers, repetition, or frequency. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Forgiveness is something completely different. Let me tell you about it. And he goes on to tell a story that blows us away. Here it is. In verse 23, he begins this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Okay, so in that time, there were landowners, there were masters, apparently a ruler, a king, who entrusted different uh, individuals of his court with various uh, proportions of his resources. And every now and then he would call accounts and just make sure that everybody is doing what they need to do with those resources. And this is one of those times. 
And in verse 24, it says, When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 what? Talents. 10,000 talents. A talent is the heaviest unit of weight in the New Testament Greek era. Okay, um, Here, when it's dealing with currency and money, a talent is actually 6,000 days wages. Okay, so let's think about this. This guy owes 10,000 of those 6,000 days wages. <laughs> 60 million days wages. He's been doing something wrong with his resources, okay? Let's see here. How does this king deal with him? And in verse 25, it says, But as he was not able to pay, obviously, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. Verse 26, the servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you how much? Uh, this guy doesn't get it. <laughs> you can't pay this back. His plea for mercy, his plea for patience is ridiculous because he actually thinks that he can do something to pay back the debt he owes. But there's a new scenario the master says, in verse 27, the master of that servant was moved with compassion. That word in the New Testament Greek, it has to deal with the bowels moving. There's just like this inner uh, ache of the king that says, oh man, maybe I should. And that's exactly what happens. He was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. By the way, those two words, they're closely related. Forgiveness literally is releasing. Forgiveness literally is letting something go, sending something away. That's what the Greek word actually entails, to send something away as a debt. And so he's letting this go. He's releasing the obligation. And in verse 28, the story turns. It says, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. Who owed him how much? A hundred, what is it? Denarii. A hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not a talent, nor is it thousands of them. <laughs> this is a denarii. A denarii a denari is a day's wage. One day's wage. This is a reasonable debt that could be paid within several months. And notice what this fellow servant does. He says, and he laid hands on him took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Wow, sounds really familiar. Sounds really familiar. In verse 30, apparently this servant didn't remember what he had just said to the king just a few moments earlier. In verse 30, it says, And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. <sighs> this interaction with the fellow servant totally disregards what had taken place. It totally disregards the, the infinite, immeasurable mercy that the king had on him just a few hours earlier. And the point is this. Those that are our fellow brothers and sisters... Somehow we find ourselves justified in holding them by the throat when their debt is nothing in comparison to our debt with God. How can we do that? How can we do that? 
And that's the whole point of this. Uh, Jesus is basically telling Peter's question, look, what do you think? You know, is forgiveness something up to seven times? Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. Forgiveness is not like that. Forgiveness is not to be counted out. Forgiveness is infinite and immeasurable. Why? Because God's forgiveness toward us is. And in this story, Jesus continues to describe the dynamic of what takes place. And in verse 31, it says, So when his fellow servants saw what had been done. In other words, the story got out. People in the community understood what was taking place. And the rest of the verse, it says, They were very, what is the word in your Bible? Very sorrowful. Mine says they were very grieved. Very grieved. Literally, it means to be thrown into sorrow. It means to be offended, made uneasy, to be in heaviness of distress. The rest of the community was irked by this display of unforgiveness. And some of us might look at that and say, whoa, 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 why why do they have to be so nosy? Why do they have to get in everyone else's business? This is what happens. Look, verse 31, it says, They were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And some of us think, hey, these guys could have worked it out themselves. You remember Jesus was saying, hey, just, just do that whole direct address thing. But here's what's significant. Sometimes we wonder why other people have to be so concerned about my grudge, you know, against this person or that person. Hey, this is my thing. I'll hold on to this. No. What Jesus is saying is that unforgiveness affects the entire community. Uh, it reminded me, actually, when I, when I first just realized what was going on, that other people were concerned, uh, it reminded me of what the great Martin Luther King Jr. wrote from that Birmingham jail. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And what I thought was, wow, unforgiveness anywhere is a threat to forgiveness everywhere. And here's the thing. You think about the first scenario and the impact of the master, the king that actually forgave the servant, think about the impact of that on the community. When everybody, when the story gets out and says, whoa, that king just forgave this guy 10,000 talents. Do you realize that every other servant in the house is like, this guy is awesome. This is the place I want to be. But flip the story and ask yourself what happens to the rest of the community when they realize, whoa, this guy is is holding his throat for only a hundred denarii. Suddenly, the dynamic in the community is like walking on eggshells. I I, I don't want to cross this person. (laughs) Maybe I should avoid them altogether. Do you see what happens? And so they're very, they are very grieved. They're very grieved. The story continues. It says in verse 32 that, Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. And notice where the punchline is. Should you not also, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? There is the punchline. Peter had begun to ask, hey, how how should I measure my forgiveness? Should I just measure it in terms of numbers and frequency and repetition? And Jesus is saying, no, you measure your forgiveness as you have been forgiven. 
The measuring stick is not occurrences. The measuring stick is not frequency. The measuring stick is God's mercy. Do we follow that today, yes or no? And this is hard to swallow. This is hard to swallow because some of us have gotten used to saying, I have a right to hold my brother's throat for that pitiful debt. When in reality, we have been given grace beyond measure. In verse 34, it says, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. This is exactly what the servant did to his fellow servant. Did you notice that? (laughs) Exactly what his servant did to the fellow servant. It reminds me of that line in the Lord's Prayer. We've We've all prayed it before. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you know what that means? When you pray that prayer, do you know what you're praying? (laughs) Forgive me as I've been forgiving. It asks God to deal with us as we have been dealing with our fellow mortals. Yeah, whoa, 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 hold the phone. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) Do I really want God to deal with me in the same way that I've been dealing with my erring brother or sister? Do I really want God to deal with me in the same way that I've been dealing with that person who has offended me years and decades ago? Do I really want God to do it? So the question is this. How do you deal with those who offend you, hurt you, and cross you? And the next question, is that the way that we pray that God would deal with me? You see, this prayer, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it's turned around as an appeal. In the New Testament, we heard uh, Joanne share it with the kids. Colossians 3, verse 13. Forgive. Forgive others' debts as I hope my own debts to be forgiven. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Do we follow this? There's a cause and effect. There's an interrelation that cannot be separated here. Forgiveness for the follower of Jesus is not an option. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) If we think that it is our right to hold unforgiveness then what we're telling God is, I'd like you to deal with me just like that. God help us. In Steps to Christ, powerful, powerful book, there's this simple line in page 97. It says, if we expect our own prayers to be heard for forgiveness, we must forgive others in the same manner and to the same extent as we hope to be forgiven. Wow, let that sink in. (laughs) If we're praying for forgiveness, what we're asking for, or we must forgive others in the same manner and to the same extent. And I don't know about you, but that just seems supernatural, (laughs) right? That is supernatural. So the question is then, how do we do this? (laughs) Peter thought he was doing, you know, above and beyond, saying, hey, seven times, is that good? And Jesus is saying, no, forgive as I've forgiven you. How in the world does that happen? How can you and I have the power of, you know, last week we were talking about, you know, dealing with difficult persons and, and, and uh, uh, the PowerPoints of Christ-like composure and Christ-like communication. Here the PowerPoint is this, the power of Christ-like forgiveness. So how does that happen? It's so super, it's beyond our natural capacity. How can I forgive brother A, brother B, whatever. 
how can I forgive just as God has forgiven me? Can I give you, just suggest two practical takeaways here? Two, two practical takeaways. Number one, pray. <laughs> what? Pray. I want you to look again, just here, Matthew chapter 28. Did you know, you know, last week we were in verse 15, and that's talking about, you know, directly addressing the offending party and bringing others with you if they don't listen and stuff like that. But then notice that between that whole scenario of how to deal with an erring brother and the parable of the unforgiving servant, there are sandwiched these two powerful promises that we often quote, verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20, notice this. It says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Can you say amen? It's a, power, it's a powerful promise regarding what? Prayer. It's a promise regarding prayer, and the promise has such weight. Why? Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. It's a promise of God's presence. So in the context of forgiveness, how do we extend Christ-like forgiveness? We pray. We pray. We pray for, and notice, in verses 19 and 20, it's praying with. Did you catch that? Wherever two or three, hey, hey, let's deal with this. Let's deal with this. It's not just bashing it out with verbal bats. No, no. It's actually praying together. Praying for one another. And so we pray. There's, there's something I think we underestimate about the potency of prayer. Prayer is a binding agent. It's hard to hold an argument with somebody that you're praying with. Amen? It's hard to hold a grudge with someone that you're praying with. Actually, turn with me really quickly. New Testament verse in James. James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16. James catches this sentiment of the power of prayer and how it heals. Notice James chapter 5. Verse 16. When you're there, go ahead and say, I found it. All right, James chapter 5, verse 16. We'll wrap it up here in just a moment. James chapter 5, verse 16. <clears throat> here, James is talking about praying, praying when you're sick, praying the prayer of faith. And then in verse 16, he gets very specific about praying in community. He says, confess your trespasses to one another. There's an interrelational dynamic. He's realizing, hey, there's, there's going to be times where you need to be honest with one another. Share with each other the, the shortcomings that you've had toward one another. Confess your trespasses to one another and do what? Pray for one another. For what purpose? That you may be healed. This is the kind of prayer that binds. This is the kind of prayer that heals. What kind of prayer is that? It's the kind of prayer that confesses our wrongs to one another and is completely honest, saying, look, this, I messed up. I messed up. It's the kind of prayer that refreshes the parched landscape of the soul. It's the kind of prayer that has been held bondage to guilt and unforgiveness and saying, look, I want to release it. I want to let it go. Would you like to have healing prayer? There's someone that you're, you're holding something with. Maybe it's someone within this house. Maybe it's someone within your own house. Maybe it's someone in your past. And you're saying, hey, 
I need to pray. If it's impossible to pray with that individual, at least pray. (laughs) Pray. And let your parched soul be refreshed. So, practical takeaway number one is to pray. To pray for and to pray with the difficult person, realizing that Christ-like forgiveness is not natural. (laughs) It's supernatural. Okay, so that's number one. Pray. Number two is this. Be filled with a vision of Christ's mercy. Be filled with a vision of Christ's mercy. Why do I say this? Um, uh, Just this week, you know, in our breakfast times as a family, we like to read a book, read a devotional book together. And uh, what we've been going through lately is actually a parenting book. It's called The First Seven Years. Powerful, powerful, practical principles there. And uh, this week it was focusing on something called the Love Cup Principle. Have you heard of that before? The love cup principle. In other words, that it's just kind of a metaphor for realizing that everyone, every individual has a love cup. And their capacity to pour love into other people is completely de- contingent upon how full that love cup is. If that love cup is full, they're able to give love. If that love cup is empty, guess what? Unable to give love. Instead, we give sand, right? <laughs> Instead, we give crosswords. Instead, we give misbehaviors and destructive actions. Why? Because our love cup is empty. And so if we're having a hard time giving forgiveness to others, maybe it's because our love cup is empty. Maybe it's because we haven't received the very thing that we have trouble giving. And so if you're looking for something practical, how can I, how can I extend Christ-like forgiveness The point is this, we will never be able to extend forgiveness to others if we haven't received forgiveness for ourselves. You remember that servant, he's there before the king. Why why didn't the servant have the capacity to forgive his fellow servant? I think it has something to do with the fact that he still didn't get how much he was forgiven. Remember what he said? Hey, just have patience with me. I will pay you back six billion days wages. He didn't get how much the master had forgiven him. Because he didn't see the infinite magnitude of his debt, he didn't fully appreciate the infinite magnitude of the Master's mercy. So our unwillingness to forgive the offenses of our human brothers and sisters is an indication that we truly haven't gotten it. That we truly haven't grasped the price of divine mercy. But when we do, when we do grasp God's immeasurable mercy toward us, that our sinful rebellion against God has racked up an infinite debt in the moral universe. When you and I realize that God has stopped counting, do you realize God has stopped counting? You can stop counting too. (laughs) Some of us are still counting for ourselves. God, I did this. I I did this. I did this. Check it out. God has stopped counting. Why? Because our debt in the moral universe can never be paid except by one, and his name is Jesus. And because of his infinite mercy, we can extend that same mercy for ourselves. Maybe the first person we need to forgive is ourselves. For ourselves and for others. This behooves us to keep our minds ever filled with a vision of Christ's immeasurable mercy toward us. Is your love cup full or is it empty? If it's full, then you've got some love to give to others. Praise the Lord. If you're feeling like you have nothing to give to others, take some time to be filled. Be ever filled with the infinite mercy of God. 
someone maybe might ask, well, what if the offense that I haven't forgiven, maybe, what, what if that thing that, that, that I'm still hanging on to, that bag that I'm still carrying around, what if, what if it's so far in the past that that person is no longer around? Maybe it's a parent figure that, that you just hold something like, oh, Maybe it's an individual that is on the other side of the world. Well, what, what if it's impossible to actually communicate with this individual? Or what if, what if I've been holding on to this and bringing it up would only be destructive to that person's experience because they have no clue that I hold this against them? Well, what then? Should I go ahead and destroy their day? Pop their bubble and say, okay, I forgive you. I'm sorry, I didn't know. You know? Is that what we should know? Um, let me just offer a few suggestions. A few suggestions to make concrete your releasing. Maybe you're choosing today, say, look, look, I don't need to hold on to this. God hasn't held on to it for me, so I'm not gonna need, I'm not gonna hold on to this. So maybe it's someone that has already passed away. Maybe it's somebody that you have no ability to contact. Maybe it's somebody that you know it's better not to even bring it up. So let me just offer a few suggestions. Is that okay? Some have verbally addressed a picture. Some have actually gotten a picture of that person, put it on a table in front of them, sat down, and just had a talk. <laughs> a talk with that picture and say, okay, I'm making this concrete. I'm, I'm releasing this debt in a very real way. Maybe that, that's something that you need to do. Pull up a picture and say, look, Grandpa, when you did this to me, this is how it felt. And for decades, I've been holding on to this but today I'm letting it go. And maybe that's what you need to do because of the infinite mercy that God has shown me. I'm going to show you mercy. Take out that picture. Something I've done is I've actually written a letter. I've written a letter. I've addressed it. I've, I've been very specific. You specify the offense, whatever hurt it has inflicted upon you, and then you specify the hurt and impact that you are now letting go. So maybe you need to do that. Maybe you pull, need to pull out a pen and paper. Say, look, here, this is what... I don't, I don't even know how to put this into words, but I'm going to try. And, you, know, you go ahead and write their name. You write what happened. You write how your life has taken course because of that. And you seal it with, with that sense of saying, look, I am choosing now to release that debt. And I didn't keep that letter, praise the Lord. <laughs> you could tear it up, throw it away, burn it up, whatever might be safe, okay? But here's the point. You're making that concrete. You're choosing to release, to send that debt away. Does this make sense today, yes or no? Yeah? Here's the point. God himself... Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, it says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of your heritage. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Praise Jesus. In Psalm 103, we're told he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. They never touch. That's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Look, you and I can't do that. So how, how, how do we extend that Christ-like forgiveness? First, we pray. We pray and we're filled. Be filled with an ever-present ever vision of Christ's mercy toward us. Today, we get to do something concrete. 
we get to actually wash each other's feet. Maybe it's somebody that you've been living a happy, happy home with. Praise the Lord. Enjoy that unity. Affirm that unity. But if there is some need to lay something down, allow the washing of one another's feet to be the washing away of that debt. That's a concrete measure you can do today too. Maybe it's someone here in your own home, someone in the, in the church family. Take the time. Take the time to restore that unity or to affirm that unity. And when you come together, after you uh, wash each other's feet, come back together. We'll sit every other row and we'll have a chance to pass around the bread that represents Christ's broken body and the juice that represents Christ's crushed life. The infinite price that he has paid to actually reconcile not just human relationships, but the relationship between heaven and earth. Praise Jesus for his infinite mercy. So today, what is your practical takeaway? I, I, I pray that it would be to pray. <laughs> maybe you just need to, to pray together, pray with one another. Or maybe you just need to commit to seeing the infinite mercy of God. And today, we'll have a tangible opportunity to do that. All right, let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, we're, we're going to go ahead and move into some tangible, concrete actions and Lord, I pray that you would just bless us with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, even now, maybe you're impressing us to, to seek out this person or that person to, to share this time together. Lord, I pray for, um, for a greater strength in our relationships horizontally, brother to brother, sister to sister, within the household, so that our relationship with you would have nothing between Father, we pray for mercy to fill us, and we also pray for mercy to move through us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen.